Welcome to Ashamed of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's uh, Courtney Love of a TV show, A Game of Thrones. My name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. And Brian, were you a big Hole fan? Big fan of Hole? No, not really. Yeah, it's pretty terrible stuff. But uh, I think uh, my wife was watching Glee and they were doing like an acapella version of that uh, celebrity skin song. I don't know if you recognize it. Probably not. Yeah, yeah, I do. Oh, okay. So no need I'm to sing a few bars. Okay. No, I, no, that's hard. Uh, still task. going to. So here we go. Do 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 do. Make me over. I'll stop with that. <laughs> so welcome, guys. <laughs> uh, another fun night. Uh, we're doing uh, season five, episode two, and I gotta tell you, I'm already depressed about season five. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I was trying to uh, give this one a fair shake and not come out, uh, start off this episode going, oh, this is uh, the beginning of the end. Um, but but like, yeah, yeah the first episode wasn't that bad, right? No, I, was, I, I think I said it was a very good episode, as a matter of fact. Wow. So, uh, yeah, they really dropped the fucking ball here. Um, yeah. It just makes me, like, they just set up, it seems like this is very much a setup episode. It, it almost seemed like an episode one for me. Uh, but they're setting up all these like terrible storylines, and I'm just really that's the, that's the problem. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't have any problems with them setting up storylines, but all a lot of these storylines are show invention, and they almost all suck. So, okay, on that happy note, let's jump right into yeah. this fucker. All right, all right. So the episode starts with uh, Arya. She's on a ship. She's entering Bravos between the Titans' legs. Uh, she's a curious young girl, so she looks up under the skirt, tries to get a peek at what's underneath. Um, and one of the guys on the boat is telling her that the uh, the Titan, the giant statue, he guards the entrance to a one-secret uh, city of Bravos. In the book, it goes into uh, uh, a lot of detail about how this was established by uh, escaped slaves from Valeria uh, and other parts of the world, uh, and it was like kind of hidden. But anyway, they think the uh, you know legend has it that the Titan will come to life and kill people or invaders. But whatever, she's getting a kind of an info dump, just setting up the scene for Bravos, and um, uh, you know, it's very much like Venice, Bravos, where the streets are kind of canals, a lot of fish. Uh, everybody probably smells even worse than normal uh, for this time period, um, and they they you know meander through the the streets, quote unquote, of Bravos. Eventually, get rolled out, uh, rowed out rather, to a small uh, island or temple on a somewhat island or outcropping i don't know weird looking uh and it's temple with a black door and a white door and she rolls right up knocks on it and an old black man comes out in a hoodie uh greets her not really greets her just you know stares at her i guess and promptly slams the door in her face um after saying he doesn't know who the fuck jake and agar is and uh she's got nowhere else to go nothing else to do so she just kind of hangs out she hangs out all night uh, and says death prayers while staring at her coin and flipping it from one face to the other. Uh, and it's, you know, it's got a faceless man on it, so I don't know if it has two faces. Uh, anyway, eventually the next day, I guess after being pissed on in rain and just cold all night, she decides to go and do something else. So she throws the coin in the water and heads off. So these were some really cool, uh, really cool introduction shots uh, to see the city. Didn't really care about the content of the of the scene at all. 
Um, you know, I think it was initially intriguing the first time I watched it because, hey, we're at this cool new place. What is this house of black and white? Uh, what's who's this dude? But uh, like it's like we mentioned in the beginning, and, and we probably should just have like a shortcut word for boring storyline being introduced that may have been intriguing, but we now know is absolute shit. Um, <clears throat> so um, not much to say about this. I, I really would have liked to have more information about the great degree of deference given to the House of Black and White as evidenced uh, by more of the talk from the ship's captain, but we never really get it, and that's kind of disappointing. No, and in general, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of detail um, given to setting up Bravos, but there's no, but that's about it. Like it just seems like Westeros. Still, there's there doesn't seem to be a great cultural difference. And I understand that you don't want to lose the audience, but uh, you know, even later when these uh, thugs attack Arya in the streets, they just seem like you know, you know, I don't know, guys from let's say Liverpool. I don't know different Cockney just, accents. I mean, cut and cut and paste. Yeah, it's you just know, like the same yeah. goons that you get in Bravo. So it doesn't seem like she's in a different land. Um, no, not at all. And it's also just preposterous. And I think it might be better discussed later. But I, this the idea that she goes over there with this coin that makes this, the captain so scared of her or give her so much deference that he just puts her in a cabin despite not having space for her on the boat. And she just shows up at this house of black and white. And they don't give a shit well, at all. Yeah, but you got to understand, uh, this is uh, – I'm not excusing this, but this is definitely like a fairy tale um, part of the fantasy genre. So like – George R. R. Martin is writing a fantasy book here, and there's elements of you know he's writing a political intrigue uh, novel or series of novels. He's writing horror. He's mixing all sorts of genres. Uh, but this is kind of like you know Arya's been put through shit, but she has this magical thing happen to her, and it's not magic with dragons. It's magic that she has a magic coin, and the only real magic is it intimidates people, uh, and they respect the power of it, and will give her whatever the fuck she wants. Um, it's very similar to you know what it's very similar to her three wishes like the genie, uh, we we went into depth when she got the three death wishes from Jaken, right? That was preposterous mm-hmm. as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like that's kind of a, a trope with maybe Arya, and it happens in uh, some other characters. I'm sure I just can't think of anything right now, but it is kind of you know fantas- uh, fantastic goal. That's a word. I know, but 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 what I'm saying is that, like this: she got this coin from Jack and Hagar, showed it to any man. We looked it looked like complete badass when she walked, talked to the captain. Then she shows up to the house of black and white, and they're just like, uh, "So what? What's your what's well, what's your problem? Why don't well, you get at, yeah. like treat her like a Jehovah's Witness or something?" Well, we, we'll get into that a little later. It. I think when when uh, she goes back yeah. to it, because uh, I have a lot of things. Probably, yeah. Yeah. All right. What's next? All right. So next we go to uh, Pod and Brienne, and they arrive at an inn and have a little bit of a nosh. We uh, then learn that Sansa and Littlefinger are also at the same inn. Sansa asks Littlefinger about news he receives, says his marriage proposal is accepted when uh, Pod spots Littlefinger. And Sansa, Brienne uh, walks over, ready to, or tells uh, Pod to get ready. She's about to fuck shit up. Tells Pod to go out and steal horses, which I thought was kind of out of character uh, because they only have one horse between the two of them. Brienne approaches Littlefinger at Sansa's table and introduces herself. Uh, Littlefinger brings up a cutting quote from Renly Baratheon that her loyalty comes free of charge. Brienne tells Sansa about her stupid oath to cat. Uh, Littlefinger brings up uh, Loras's death. Uh, I'm sorry, Renly's death, and then also um, 
asks how Renly was killed. Brienne provides an explanation that, frankly, still doesn't make a lot of sense if you weren't in the tent. Littlefinger points out the failures both as to Renly and as to Cat, uh, and asks why he should let Brienne guard Sansa. Now that he is the uncle by marriage, uh, he has some degree of control over Sansa. Brienne keeps begging, but Sansa tells her to, to, to um, skedaddle. Uh, Littlefinger then attempts to apprehend her, and uh, Brienne fights her way out. Somehow magically exits 30 seconds before anyone else. Yeah. Can uh, we take a break there? Chases away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so, uh, yeah. <sighs> a lot of things. I, I want to say that uh, the beginning of the scene where Littlefinger, well, after Brienne and Potter just talking about nonsense, uh, Sansa is talking to Littlefinger and she's trying wine. I don't know for the first time or again. I don't know. She's Ooh. just not into it. And she's asking why men like it so much. And, and Littlefinger says, it gives sun men courage. And she's like, does it give you courage? And he's just like, huh? But it basically shows. Sansa's picking up on things. Sansa's picking up that Peter answers questions by not answering questions or giving other information that isn't, let's say, relevant. Uh, it just right. shows how like astute she is, and I really like this, and it's just going to be all shat upon uh, later. Maybe she'll get redeemed, but I don't think there's any way to redeem what happens to Sansa in this season. But I really liked mm-hmm. this Agreed. little development here. I really do. Shows her going uh, just being a smarter person and a better player at the game. Um, I liked uh, another thing. So if everybody didn't know that this was fucking Sansa, now they do because Brienne had a very loud conversation, a very public place that this girl in uh, dark hair dye is Sansa Stark. She calls her name. So like, how does this not get back to the Lannisters that Peter Baelish, their former stooge has Sansa Stark, a traitor to the realm, accomplice to murder. They think, how does this not come back to bite them at all? That's a very good point. I did I did not uh, pick up on that when I watched the show, but you're absolutely right. Somebody among those ten men, I mean, uh, probably would take some gold to uh, to sell out those two. I don't see why not. You know, well, it's very similar to what happened in the, um, you know, with Braun in the, in 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 the first season when uh, he got taken captive. You know, he's just mm-hmm. said, "Hey, who wants money?" Um, you know, I'm a Lannister. I've got Lannister gold, and somebody would be about it. I don't know. Uh, but this is all show invention. Yeah. That's the bigger point here. This is all show invention. They need something for Brienne to do that is relevant to the main characters, and this is what they came up with. Uh, and this this sparks off Brienne's journey for the whole. And we'll get there when we finish out this scene. But that's the bigger point of this whole scene. Yeah, and you know, I read online uh, that included within the the instructions or within the script but that actually wasn't on the screen was that Sansa was supposed to convey to Brienne that um I would go with you if 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 Littlefinger was here wasn't here but since he's here you're not going to be able to take me so get out of here that was supposed to be communicated through her kind of yep. look during the during the scene but that made a I didn't, I didn't know I didn't pick up on it nope absolutely yeah. not uh, I, yeah no uh, and also just that uh, I hate to keep harping on timing, but the magic exit where she goes out, smashes the the uh, the uh, wherever you post your horses yeah, to, it scares off a lot horse, of time. Horse. She had a lot of time to do that. <laughs> yeah, that one was bad. That one was bad. Um, so, anyways, oh, but it could have been. Let's uh, fix it. So let's fix it real quick. So she's on the way out, and she pulls down, let's say, uh, a dresser or a shelf of plates, and it blocks the doorway temporarily. Giving her a couple seconds, yeah. like anything. I don't know. Or 
pushes pushes people down so it's like a human domino thing i think from like animal house i mean it wasn't <laughs> it's just paying too much or yeah or back to the future i think that happens at one point uh, marty yes, just yes, pushes exactly. one person actually i think that's down. what i was thinking of well animal house yeah. back to the future you can confuse them it's pretty easy they're great movies um and one yeah, last that's a thing that's just that's just that's just it's nitpicky picky. yeah it sure is but one thing i did find interesting about this scene is that like i i love about the books that information is so uh important and it's so hard to communicate anything um we get uh peter baelish calling into question when um brianne says oh i'm pledged to us uh, you know your lady mother catlin and um you know, <laughs> Littlefinger's like, WTF, you were pledged to uh, Renly. What happened? And he's like, well, that was after Renly's death. So just in the past, I don't know, year, month, new shit has come to, to pass, but she, she has no, <laughs> or Littlefinger has no way to validate this. And then Littlefinger says, oh, I am I can take care of Sansa. I'm her uncle now. Uh, what? <laughs> you know, and Brienne's yeah. like, what do you mean? And she's like, oh, I married her aunt, and she's dead, but, so I'm in charge of her. And they're both like, uh, new shit has come to light, as uh, Jeffrey Lebowski would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I got the sense that uh, Littlefinger knew all these things, and the, his questioning was designed to make Brienne oh, look stupid. No question, and she was stupid. Yeah. And going back to that that answer she gave, well, how did Stannis die? Stannis sent an assassin. It still covers your ass. It's still the truth. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Just, yeah, just say it like that. I mean, you know, no one's gonna believe you. You ha- this isn't the first time you've brought up, you know, shadows and magic, and you know, they didn't know. She didn't know it came from a witch's vagina, but she, <laughs> she if she did know that, she'd probably drop that uh, little nugget there too. So anyway, yeah, which makes all the more believable. <laughs> uh, so um, Brienne, uh, a, a horse chase ensues, and Pod is separated from Brienne. Brienne is able to double back and lose her pursuers, only to be to find that uh, Littlefinger is already on his way with the uh, rest of the people and presumably Sansa. We cut to Pod, and he is dehorsed, and a rider approaches to kill him, and Brienne swoops in and actually kills the rider and another dude. Brienne tells Pod that they are to follow uh, Littlefinger. Pod questions whether she has been released from her vows because she's been rejected by both of the Stark girls. Um, but uh, Brienne dismisses this notion because uh, clearly Santa is not safe with Littlefinger. Right, and that's very astute on her part, even though they fluctuate with her being capable and naive, um, as was evident earlier when she talked about the whole uh, shadow killed my former king. Sure. But I did like, even though this is all show invention bullshit, I did like getting to see the Valyrian steel sword, Oathkeeper, just wreck other blades. Like, she basically broke apart another guy's sword. Like yeah, that was butter. cool. Yeah, that was great. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that, yeah. even though this was all... I felt like uh, this happens a lot later, too, in the series. This is like the quota, like the Xena-required battle scene for the episode, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's definitely what it felt like, but at least that little detail made this, I guess, a little better, a little more interesting for my... My face anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just I I don't know that I cared. Yeah, well, that's the thing is this is all their whole quest now is they're gonna run off and trail after Sansa, and they do this all season long, right? Yes. Like all Brienne yep. does with Pod is follow Sansa around and hang out outside of Winterfell. Uh, it's show invention, and it's just not very interesting. I don't know. Correct. I, I, I don't think that she's met. I don't think Brienne has met 
Brienne or Sansa in the uh, in the in the books. Nope. Yeah. So. All right. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Jamie goes to visit Cersei uh, with a box from Dorne. Uh, happens to be like a Jack in the Box situation in which it springs open and there's a red viper statue holding um, a Lannister necklace in its jaws. So it's a very um, unsubtle message um, of a threat. I guess the people of Dorne are upset that their one of their princes has died at the hands of another Lannister man. Um, Cersei is rightfully anger, angry as this f- threat and uh, freaks out saying she wants to burn their cities to the ground or some crap. I don't know. Uh, Jamie tries to calm her down. Um, uh, but, you know, she gives Jamie a bunch of shit for being a coward and not being her a real dad or whatever. Jamie's saying he can't be a dad or else they'd all be dead. Um, says he's gonna... He's still goaded into taking action, though, by Cersei's, uh, I don't know, shit talk. And he says he's gonna go down there and get his daughter back. Uh, when Cersei says this will be an act of war, Jamie says, oh, no, we're not gonna bring any armies, so we don't need the approval of Congress or whatever. It's gonna be an executive order type thing. I'll just go down there and uh, get her. You know, just one man. Or she's like, just one man won't do any difference or whatever. And he's like, who says I'm going alone? Dot, dot, dot. So a little bit of fake intrigue here. Um, but this just sets up Dorne, and it's just already I'm starting to go, oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, oh, Cersei, what a jerk. Uh, just such a 180 on on on, uh, on what's his nuts. Jamie. I mean, Jamie just wants to love her, and she just wants to be a jerk. I guess she just loves her children and herself. Um, but why does he even want her at this point? I don't I don't know. They don't. I mean, they have no idea what they're doing with Jamie. I don't. Uh, please yeah. don't make me go on a Doug rant. Please. It's confusing. I mean, him just her openly mocking his missing hand, a one-armed man. I mean, just garbage. Um, and I think that also troubling to me is that this threat is actually fabricated by the show. Uh, this doesn't happen in the books. Instead, in the books, Cersei just assumes that the uh, the Martells are going to do something bad. Right. And actually, sends uh, Balon Swan or Swain. To go try to recover. This is Swan. Swan. So there's no implication of any danger in the books, but this like sets up the Dornish people as these these mysterious and dangerous people who might actually hurt little girls, as uh, Oberon said they didn't do. Which I, I don't like that character change. It's it's stupid. Sh- it, uh, it's it, all right. So we can't we can't really go down the rabbit hole of how bad the Dorn uh, plot is in the books, but at the same time. You know, Duran didn't send this message to the Lannisters. Yeah. You know, it was Alarius and uh, Oberyn's paramour. Uh, as we learn later on, she's very upset. Uh, but the fact that she's allowed to do something like this or stuff happens like this just shows you how much of a, a character assassination it is to Duran, the the Prince of Dorne, the the ruler down there, that he can't control this. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know. It's just I, like already. I'm just. I can already feel the hairs on the back yeah. of my neck standing up, going, "Jesus, this is where it begins." I mean, th- yeah, this is some of the stuff where they start to mash up book things and event book things, where it really becomes troubling. And I think loses some of the point of the books. But anywho, uh, so next, what do we got next here, Doug? We go uh, to so yeah, with Bron, right? Yes, yeah, so we go to Bron and his wife are hanging out at the beach. She is blathering on about their forthcoming wedding, and Bronn just doesn't give a crap. Uh, Bronn marvels at his new castle. They discuss the potential inheritance. 
uh, first, his future uh, wife seemed like she might be somewhat intelligent, but then she starts to come off as a moron when she begins talking about her mean sister. Uh, Bronn hands out some life lessons on meanness and how people uh, uh, who are mean get what's coming to them when they spot Jamie Fulcan Lannister. Uh, they approach Jamie, intros are made, and Bronn uh, dismisses his future wife. Uh, Jamie then recruits Bronn for a secret mission, promising a better wife and a better castle in exchange. Yeah, so I felt bad for Bronn. And once again, this is more show invention bullshit. Uh, the beginning of this isn't. Um, so I, I do have to, even though we're assuming you guys read the books, uh, I'm still going to give the backstory of who Lolly Stokeworth is. Uh, and how it plays out in the book. So Lolly's is a somewhat dim-witted, but not, you know, Hodor level, um, a high-functioning, I would say, um, person uh, for being dim-witted. And careful. She's, I know, I'm being I'm very careful. I'm being very respectful here. But uh, basically, she's not so bright. <laughs> uh, she's not so bright, and she is, you know, a lady-in-waiting, basically, in the capital. So she's uh, a daughter of somebody important, a high lord. I can't remember, Lord of Stokeworth, whatever the fuck that is. And anyway, she hangs out in the capital. And during the food riot that was in season three or two, I don't know, where they sent Marcella away to Dorne and uh, the whole royal party got attacked and uh, Sandor had to save Sansa from uh, the mob. Do you remember that? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so in that, that whole riot... Lollies was in the group and she gets taken away and raped half a hundred times. Doesn't happen on screen. It's obviously Good horrible. God. Yeah. So, but she survives, but she's pregnant. So she is pregnant with, uh, you know, somebody's baby. And this is why Bran or Bron, who's a new knight and just elevated to the, you know, the ruling class is able to land this woman, uh, because of his newly acquired, status as a knight after the Blackwater, and also the fact that they just want to marry her off right away. Uh, you know, I guess in their, in this society, she's damaged goods, so no one else will have her, so Bronn takes her. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> shortly thereafter, Bronn does marry her and uh, kills her dad <laughs> in, like, a trial by combat or, like, a fair fight, uh, quote-unquote. Uh, but he does take... Um, uh, he does take uh, whatever possession of Stokeworth Manor, uh, and he names the bastard child that Lollies gives birth to uh, Tyrion, which really pisses off Cersei. So a great. <laughs> I forgot about that entire storyline. That's bananas. It is bananas. But here we get in this show, we get all this being ripped away from Bronn so that he can join uh, Jamie on a Dornish adventure. That is so fucking. It's like they went on spring break and just filmed it. Um, it's such a bad, un, like poorly thought out subplot here to get Dorn involved. It is, but yeah, that would have been, uh, in addition to the brutality of this season, if that, that whole storyline was included, just, I mean, the brutality over the, over the top. But uh, yeah, yeah uh, beginning of the end for these clowns um, in the dumbest adventure that's ever been put this put to the screen yeah I, I would say the only good thing is how that Braun keeps getting fucked with by the lannisters i mean we get that in season six you remember that where he's just complaining yeah. he's just like i'm never going to be done with you fucking lannister pigs you always you know say you're going to give me this but it's keep you keep promising and promising and never uh paying off so i i kind of yes. feel bad for Braun, and i never have before so i guess that's something 
Question mark? Yeah, but it, it has kind of paid off because he has this castle, and even though... Uh, what castle? Stokeworth Castle or whatever the hell? No, he says that Cersei, when he arrived, Jamie says, hey, there's good news. Cersei is marrying off lollies to some other guy. Oh, okay. And you get to I come didn't... with me, and I'm going to give you a hotter girl with a better castle when we get back. Got So they rip okay. it away from him in the show. Gotcha. All right. What uh, next? All right. So let's see. <clears throat> oh God! So now begins the shit show that is our time in Dorne. So we're in Dorne, and um, Alaria Sand, uh, you know the paramour of Oberyn, who died last season, is observing Marcella and another prince of Dorne just hanging out in the gardens. Uh, she's looking down with venom in her eyes. Uh, she goes to Doran, who Doran of Dorne uh, is the prince and the ruler there, and he bitches about how Doran's not doing anything. Her husband or lover is dead. Um, you know, says they need to kill Marcella. Uh, they need to go to war. Uh, her and the Sand Snakes have the love of the people somehow. Whatever these people are, we never see them. And uh, the people want to go to war. And Duran says, hey, that's a blessing that the people don't get to make such decisions. If only if we lived in such a time. Alaria asks um, to murder uh, Marcella right out. And Duran repeats what Oberyn said earlier. We do not murder little girls in Dorne. Um, and then uh, Ilya leaves in a huff, um, you know, saying something about I will have my vengeance. And uh, knowing what we know now, this is just, it just makes it even more painful, I think. I hate these people. Yeah, and, and here's um, the fucked up part. I, I'm so upset. Let me let me get this out. Dorne isn't great in the books. I'm not going to lie. It's not fun. But at the same time, it's not this stupid or this mishandled. Um, so uh, I just want to tell you, uh, I, I can't stand what they did to the Dornish people. And by the end of it, you are just happy that they just closed the book on the whole thing. Because yeah. they fucked it up so badly. Yeah, I can't stand her. I, she seems like she overacts. Oh yeah, um, she's not a good like, actor. Yeah, way too much. Uh, hit, the dude seems to underact half the time, and his sad sack thing is tiresome. Uh, and she's terrible. She wants to go murder and torture, dismember piece by piece a child uh, over something that this last act. The people, the, the Lannisters did nothing wrong. Yeah, it's it's, Oberyn it's Oberyn's fault. Himself. It absolutely is Oberyn's yeah, fault. Yeah. So what? What the? F- yeah, this fucking lady. This is the 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 thing that is his own fault. Is now the precipitating event or being a, a murderous, vengeful turd? Uh, yeah. And this is it's, all you know of Dorne. This is all yeah. the audience as an audience member, a casual audience member. This is you only know four or five people in Dorne, and you hate all of them. Yep. <laughs> so no like. Question. So it, it just gives uh, a whole kingdom of the Seven Kingdoms short shrift, and I hate it. Fucking yeah. hate it. Yep. All right, so next, uh, Dario and Grey Worm are patrolling uh, the town. Unsoli apparently have had no success in tracking down the Sons of the Harpies, while the Second Sons have been able to blend in and also find some of these Sons of the Harpies. Makes no sense to me at all, because nope. uh, 
Every person that in that town that's actually a native is either dressed as a slave or dressed as a master still, despite the, uh, the despite the elimination of the slavery. Whatever. Uh, it's not like the second sons would fit in in that uh, in that general uh, at the yacht dress, club dress code. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Dario and Grey Worm go to the place where the Unsullied was murdered uh, last episode, and uh, Dario hands out some life lessons about fear and hiding. Then stabs a wall, and a son of the harpy spills out along with hidden weapons. Jesus. Garbage time. Yeah, so I really hate this. I mean, I hate to just yeah. be a hate fest, but fuck this show. So first of all, fuck this pairing of Dario and Grey Worm, how they're so contrasted. Dario is, uh, they're trying to make him like a Han Solo character, which is bullshit. And, you know, Grey Worm's just very robotic, um, you know, and I hate this pairing. Uh, but yeah, the fact that they're trying to make Dario come off as like a cool guy, it doesn't work. He just comes off as a piece of shit asshole, even though he's doing stuff. And it just seems so like, I don't know, cartoonish and, um, cliche-ish. I don't know. Uh, uh, this whole scene was just dumb. Just really yeah, bad, Yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah, and this, the, the Dario speeches was stupid. Um, yeah, God. Yeah, it just sucked. Just sucked. All right. So and also, and, and all of this is also, and I don't want to just keep repeating the same things, but it's also within the framework of how dumb the Son of Harpy, the entire the line of Son of Harpy show, it's terrible. It's all it's awful. It's 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 yeah. I I'll try to be positive going forward. Let's just let's just yeah. say we both hate this, and let's try to you know find the bright spots here. Okay. Uh, so far, there's nothing in this surprise <laughs> spot. No. I will it's say, not getting better than the next scene. <laughs> no, but I will say in, in the book, uh, I guess this sentiment is uh, expressed that the Unsullied are a good army, but they're not a good police. Um, and, you know, it's like, you know, if you're an occupying force, like, yeah, you might be able to take Baghdad, no problem. But to stay and be like a police force in Baghdad? No, that's two different skill sets there. Um, so they, they do kind of address that. That's something that happens in the books, but here it's just, it's mishandled. Um, and it's not interesting. Like, that's just not interesting. Okay. So moving on, Danny and her advisors are talking about how they did find this guy, the sons of a harpy, Dario captured him by stabbing him in the leg through the wall, whatever. Uh, and the fucking new guy, uh, what's his face? Um, he wants the son of the harpy executed immediately. Uh, because these people are slave masters, and he doesn't want to be uh, a slave again. Rightfully so. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so Selmy advocates patience and giving the guy a fair trial. Dario and his daughter are there. They also put in their two cents. It's just kind of boring. Uh, they're arguing what to do with this guy. Uh, but fucking new guy gets in the last word for, before being dismissed. Um, and everybody's dismissed except for Barrison. He sticks around. And tells Danny how shitty her dad was and how he was brutal and, you know, executed brutally all these people he thought did them wrong um, instead of hearing them out and giving a fair trial. Um, so I guess uh, Barristan the Cupcake wins out uh, and his argument touches Danny and Danny says she will give this guy a fair trial. Yeah, who the who's this dumb shit that's uh, now on the? Uh, he looks like a fucking child. I don't understand what is going on with this at all. Other than I think it's just set up to 
for the scene at the end of the episode. It absolutely is, it's, and it's not that yeah. well. It, there's no other explanation. It's just not well thought out. There's just like, hey, we need somebody. This guy is once again. It's it's a show invention. She had a shitload of advisors in Marine that weren't interesting at all. Once again, the book how it covers Marine and Dorn, I have similar feelings about. I wasn't that into it, but at the same time, it wasn't this fucking terrible and mishandled. So she has a shitload of advisors, and I you can't keep their name straight because they're all guttural and giscari whatever that language is but uh this they just brought a guy here for a function this is not a character this is a function placeholder this guy his yeah. whole point they started with hey we want danny to mismanage this execution uh and then we're gonna work backwards from there so uh yeah they should have given this guy some value by saying he speaks for a guild uh which is you know something would be you know you know he's the lead, I don't know. <laughs> He's the head of the new ex slave union, the 422. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know at all. Yeah, you it's have no silly. idea. Why is he there? Yeah. He said he's yeah, the first one that took yeah. up a sword when Grey Worm came to liberate them, but that doesn't give you, <laughs> that doesn't qualify you to rule or lead. No, not at all. Yeah, I don't get it. I also don't like, uh, I, I, I'm uh, sorry. Back up. I did not necessarily didn't like, but I found it interesting that uh, that that uh, Selmy finally told her that her dad was actually Looney Tunes at the end, and she had no clue that he was just burning people to burn people. Um, yeah, I guess it seemed like she knew that he wasn't a great guy or knew his reputation, but I guess she didn't know the horrible details. Yeah, so I'm not really sure. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, but it was kind of downplayed. Uh, it was no no real importance put on it. Also, I you know I kind of struggled too with. She's a great conqueror, and I didn't realize that she's not good at governance, whatever. But it's just kind of, uh, and I'm not trying to be too woke or anything, but it just it does seem kind of silly that she needs these old white men to set her straight, and that these are the guys that actually make decisions for her that are actually, I think, fairly evident decisions. I mean, if she's trying to be a good leader, yeah, she probably should have some sort of trial, or at least try to be fair, not just execute people. Like the people that she was replacing and didn't like them for those kind of reasons, you know? Uh, yeah, and uh, but this is, I think, another like TV trope. We see this happen all the time in the other, our sister show, uh, The Shameful Dead, where we cover The Walking Dead, in which like one character will really impact another person by giving them a well thought out argument. This doesn't happen any time in reality. I don't know, at one point you have strong feelings and somebody's like, you know what? Maybe everybody does have a right to healthcare, and you're like, yeah. you know what? You're right. You know what? You're an old white man. I, I, I'm in a minority or female. You're right. <laughs> no, but not even that. Just like somebody like convincing you on something you feel strongly about doesn't happen yeah. in like a two minute uh, conversation. And I know we're limited by the medium of TV. It just comes off as like very TV cliche ish that. Uh, Barrison gives her a little like Coach Barrison talk and manipulates her into doing whatever he wants instead of her yeah. listening to everybody and coming to this decision on her own or thinking or discussing it maybe with uh, Miss Sandy later going, hey, you know, Miss Sandy, you know, I really want to do this, but maybe she's working it out on her, on her own and just talking to Miss Sandy. I don't know. Uh, we can make yeah. this better, I think. Yeah. All right. So Varys and Tyrion are traveling in a pretty boss looking uh I don't know what you call this. It almost looks like a, a cabin from a train, but that's actually pulled by horses. But they're on the road to Atlantis, uh, also on the way to Marine as well. 
Tyrion complains about being trapped in the box, which, uh, again, looks pretty nice. Uh, Varys preaches caution that there are the, that Cersei is out for Tyrion's head. Tyrion and Varys kind of rehash their plans, and Varys tells Tyrion that uh, he was a good leader while it lasted in, in, uh, in Westeros. Tyrion recounts how Shay begged him to leave, but uh, Tyrion did not want to because Tyrion liked the power. Uh, there's some shit about power and boxes and repugnance and stupid allegories. Uh, I didn't write down too much about it because it's kind of pointless. This is all garbage. This whole scene yeah. doesn't really have a point besides setting up the fact that Varys is like, we have to be careful with you. We can't yeah. let you just run around. Just And it's another and guess function. what happens. Exactly. Spoiler alert. And this is yeah. only the one you're going to get. But Jorah takes him later. Um, but yeah, this is another functional thing that really doesn't, you know, it's not interesting. It's just a performing a function. It's like copy, like paint by numbers here. No, and you know, some of these scenes uh, with various interior can stand on their own. That's what I'm saying. It's like, these are two great characters. I want them to interact. I just want them. Yeah, to I mean, but some of the they, they've had a number of scenes that were kind of pointless, but they were still fun enough that you kind of didn't didn't really care. This one didn't strike me as fun enough to care, but maybe uh, I just was kind of checked out of the episode, so I'm not really sure. No, well, I mean, that was my feeling as well. So yeah. you know, we might both be assholes, which I'm pretty sure we are, but uh, doesn't mean we're not wrong in this case. Uh, I think this yeah. was a very I I was glossing over, and and I I guess the only excuse I'll give them is that. Uh, Tyrion is at a very depressed time in his life. I mean, he just <laughs> murdered his the woman he loved and his dad. Uh, so he's at a little bit of a funk. He's got a yeah. case of the Mondays, let's say. <laughs> no question about it. Much like Garfield. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and they both love lasagna. <laughs> yeah, no question. Okay, so moving on, uh, we get a scene where Cersei and Kyburn are greeted with a head of a dwarf. Uh, it is obviously not Tyrion. And Marin Trant uh, asks Cersei if she wants to, to lock these guys up. And I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but there was there was a good transition. I think yeah. Tyrion said something to the effect of, what's she going to do, kill all the dwarves in Westeros? And then yeah. you cut to the heads, which that that was – I thought that was a fairly clever, at least interesting uh, transition. So yeah, go yeah, ahead. And, yeah, they do this a lot, but you're absolutely right. I, I will give them uh, – Some of them are shit, but this one was good, I thought. I agree. Some of them are shit, but yes, I agree with you. This is a good transition. So way to go, D&D. Um, you did something right. Um, you did it. You did it. Good boys. They should get an extra <laughs> cookie, extra Oreo tonight for bedtime. An extra billions of dollars. Yeah. For fucking up something that was awesome. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. I don't want to get into. <laughs> yep. I was just thinking all the the weird shit they might be into. But let's move on. So, uh, so yeah. Um, uh, Marin Trant asks if uh, he he should lock these guys up, and Cersei's like, "No, I don't want to turn anybody else off. I want other people going out there and getting dwarves. So I, I don't want to throw anybody off the hunt." Basically, saying she's okay with the collateral damage of a uh, a dwarf getting killed, and in the book, it's something like an absurd amount of dwarf heads end up showing, and she's just <laughs> like a child. She's like, "Maybe this is it. Maybe this is Tyrion's head." And every time, it's you know some other innocent dwarf's head. Um, so that's kind of funny. Uh, and then she's like, take this head away, get out of here. And Kyber's like, uh, if you don't mind, can I hold on to that? And she's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Which, <laughs> no, that should be a red flag. <laughs> uh, there are very few, I guess, instances where like holding onto a dwarf's head would be like, I don't know, have that. Uh, there's good reasons for it. Um, just all creepy reasons. Um, but anyway, um, 
Later, she goes to a small council meeting with Kyburn with her, and she sits down in the chair for the hand of the king. And they're like, hey, what the WTF? And she's like, hey, uh, I'm not going to be the hand of the king. That's ridiculous. I'm not a man, and only a man can do it. So I'm just going to advise the king until uh, he's old enough to be a man and appoint his own hand of the king. So Mace uh, offers his... uh, you know, throws his hat in the ring and says, I could be hand of the king. And she's like, no, no, uh, you, you're going to be master of coin. And, and, you know, you're so great at it. Uh, so she's kind of clever by, or he's just such a dimwit that he doesn't see what she's doing right here by giving him just basically more responsibility. And also it just shows, t- uh, Cersei is having a general disdain for the, for the concern of the economy. So, um, so, uh, you know, Mace is just, uh, I guess, a lovable idiot here. Uh, and then she says that Kyburn is the new Master of Whispers. And when Pycelle starts to, like, complain, uh, she just rides, rides right over him and then uh, tells him that Kevin is going to be the new Master of War, whatever that means. And Kevin's like, hey, uh, I'm just in town to go to my brother's funeral. Uh, I didn't really come here to be your bitch boy. Uh, and you know, she tries to convince him and he gets up to leave. Cersei says, Hey, you're refusing your King's wishes. And he's all, if the King wants me to serve him, he can ask me himself. I'll be chilling back at Cassidy Rock deuces. And he pieces out. God damn. I do want, uh, Mace Tyrell as the hand of the King though. <laughs> That'd be awesome. He's delightful. That'd be so great. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I get that what she's doing here, Cersei. She's trying to uh, either eliminate the small council or just have complete lackeys on it. But I also know that the Iron Bank it might be the biggest challenge that the Lannisters are currently facing. And she's sending the biggest dunce in the room to go handle that, which is um, very short-sighted on her part if she's even thought it through. Yep, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and then the other thing that's... Uh, Interesting to me is Pycelle has been such a toady or lackey in this, this series so far. I did think it was interesting that he is so opposed to Kyburn that he's not even willing to kind of uh, kowtow or uh, kind of make us peace with the arrangement because, I mean, it's clear now that Kyburn is the, uh, the, yeah, the, the big shot now in town, and Pycelle is just so offended about it. Um, you know, he's risking his own position, which is completely out of character for Pycelle. Yeah, Pycelle is a fucking idiot, but at the same time, his whole power, the all of Pycelle's power comes from this bullshit uh, social construct that is the Maesters. Yes. You know, it's like, you know, let's say two guys went through a master's program in physics and one guy graduated, another one dropped out of class to do, dropped out of school, never got his master's but had better grades and was more useful in the practical world. Um, you know, the guy with the degree is going to tout his degree and say, listen, I played by the rules. Fuck you. This, this guy just did his own thing. Um, but so I can see that point there, but yeah, he's just an idiot. He should realize, you know, this is high stakes stuff and you just need to be obsequious and kind of like just go along to get along at certain times just to survive. Uh, but he's doing none of that. Yeah, it's that's funny. Well, I mean, just so out of character, I thought it was worth mentioning. So next we go to Gilly, and she's taking reading lessons from Shireen. Uh, Sam pipes up with some useless fact, which I'm sure Sam does a lot of. Uh, there's some back and forth of uh, sassiness. It's all very cute, but uh, ac- absolute garbage. I really didn't care about this. Uh, Shireen then tells um, 
Sam and Gilly that she learned to read at three years old because she was a baby on house arrest, apparently, uh, under her mother. They discuss uh, – Gilly and Shireen discuss Shireen's grayscale. Apparently, two of Gilly's sisters had it as well. Uh, then uh, Craster sent them out to live in an outhouse, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's kind of all I wrote down. Uh, Stannis' jerk wife arrives and tells Shireen to stay away from the wildling trash, uh, may attack her. Very cynical. Uh, well, just what was the point of this? I don't... The only point, once again, it's another functional scene, I feel. So, uh, like, yeah. the, so, let's give it credit. What it's doing is setting up what we know happens to Shireen later. So, one thing it sets up, one foreshadowing is Gilly talking about Craster taking his daughters out into the woods and killing them. That's what happens to Shireen. Her daughter, his, uh, her dad takes her and kills her. Now, they both have grayscale. Uh, it makes me wonder that they say that this happens in the books, so I'm hoping to save Stannis' character because his character has been assassinated. None of this has happened in the books, by the way. Uh, Shireen is still alive. Stannis is nowhere even near her, so he can't kill her or sacrifice her. But um, it makes me think that maybe Shireen's grayscale comes back who knows? We'll get to that in a second. But number two, her mom is just being such a bitch to her for, yeah. for no fucking reason. Um, I don't know. Was, was she like this in the books? I, I don't. I don't recall. Her mom was. Her mom was definitely a zealot, but I don't feel like she was this crazy. She was kind of cold, but I don't know if she was this like downright. Uh, I don't know. Overly, overtly aggressive to her daughter, saying. What did she say there at the end? She said something ridiculous and like over the top. Basically. All these books and you've never, you'll never. You don't learn. know what people will do. Yeah. Awful. So this is definitely telegraphing what they're gonna do to Shireen later. Like looking back yeah. on it with hindsight, but at the time you're just like, damn, Shireen's mom's just a bitch. Um, yeah, I just, just this entire scene. I didn't. I mean, I understand you're saying it foreshadowed a couple things, but I it, oh, otherwise whole- had no independent value. Uh, Okay, so is- another thing it does is foreshadowing uh, Jorah's, he gets conta- uh, contagious, whatever, he catches grayscale later on in the season. Yeah. But, but they didn't need to go into that depth because you know what happens to Jorah? He's, it's just like a dense, the death sentence. He's going to die, so he needs to do something with his life. But they go into such detail about people being turned into animals um, and how contagious it is, and none of that has come back. Or paid off at all. So this scene right. just feels like a fucking waste of time. Yes. Yes, that was my point. So, all right, we're next, bud. Okay, let's see. So John has brought the Stannis to answer for his actions, basically of killing Mance before he could burn alive, I guess, even though he's dead anyway. Uh, we didn't understand. We asked what Stannis was hoping to get out of burning him alive, but whatever. Uh, John says that, uh, you know... He wasn't going to get Mance to turn coat anyway. Uh, the wildlings will only follow uh, one of their own. Uh, Stannis uh, shows him a letter that he received from Bear Island, uh, yes. which is awesome. This is the girl that we get to meet in season uh, six. Fuck yeah. Uh, and she's she's awesome here. So once again, D&D, I mean, this is in the book too, but still. Way to go. Uh, this this was like, fuck yeah. So uh, Stannis receives a letter that says, fuck you, I, will only, I only know one lord, and that, that guy's name is Stark. Basically saying they're not going to follow Stannis. And Stannis sees that John is a very valuable tool that he could use is if he can get him to, be, to work for him. Uh, he can lead the north and rally the north behind him. 
and that's what Stannis desperately needs, uh, and says, hey, if, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, whatever, accept me as your king, I will make you Jon Stark instead of Jon Snow, and you will be Lord of Winterfell. Um, very attractive, right? And, um, I mean, it, it goes on here, but, <sighs> of course, Jon's like a goody-goody, and, you know, he's not going to do it, but still. Yeah. I did love seeing the uh, introduction of Leanna Mormont that we know uh, a lot more later in the show. Uh, this just fits in with how we know she's uh, the sassiest of sassy. Right, it's awesome. In all right? of sassy land. Yeah, it's great. It's really great knowing that in, in the context of knowing her from later in the show. Right, absolutely. You know, and I think in the books, if I'm not mistaken, I think she, she's actually like the acting lady of Bear Island where her I think she's a oh, mother, yeah. maybe a surviving sister or two or out yeah, also yeah. kind of out. There's wrecking one, shit. Yeah, there's 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 one uh I think it's Daisy Mormont. Uh there's one there's a Mormont lady warrior with Stannis right now in the books. Yeah. As they're heading to Winterfell to take on um uh Ramsey and Roos. Actually, Roos is still alive in the books too, who knows? Yeah, so that's uh yeah, I, I forgot about that. I don't think we discussed it when uh Mormont herself was on when we actually meet Leon and Mormont quote unquote in person, but um, so great introduction, and uh, also that, that that this one this is the actually the only scene that got me excited for a forthcoming plotline, and then we get to see that. That's right. That, girl, that is absolutely right. This is the girls. one thing out of this whole episode. This one storyline. <laughs> I was like, yes, was like yeah, yeah, that's exactly. It's the yeah. complete opposite of Dorn. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And I did like the how the handwriting was kind of in child's handwriting. And anyways, um, so next we go back to the Night's Watch and. Um, it's election night for the new Lord Commander. This will be Lord Commander number 998, which I don't know. So do you think that has any significance? Because obviously they're coming up on a large milestone in number 1,000. Well, in, uh, the, in the book, Sam questions it. Sam's mm-hmm. like, Sam actually counted them all, and he's like, there's only like 500 or like, and it just seems to like, you know, people just embellish. It's like a game of telephone where okay. they're just, you know. They're bumpkins and they don't know how to count, I guess, or they don't keep great records. So mm-hmm. I think they're closing in on a thousand because, like, you know, and it's funny because <laughs> Sam is calling out what the showrunners do in this show all the time. You know, we need a thousand ships. Well, you know, what do they say? At some point, I think, um, you know, the Greyjoys show up with a thousand ships. And, like, like 1,000, a nice round number just sounds good. And it's yeah. just used a lot by, like, you know, Simple folks who don't want to think about the actual um, go through the I guess the tedium of counting things. So sure, I think that's uh, we don't know how many Lord Commanders are. That's the long and short of it. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, fuckboy Slint nominates Thorn. Uh, gives up. Gives uh, his credentials. He's been around for a while and he's a pretty good commander. Somebody nominated. Uh, I, I, I think the last guy's last name is Malister. He's some old geezer. Uh, says he's been there since he was a boy. And actually, this dude died four days after filming his initial scenes for this thing. So, uh, what, and I wrote that, that. I read that after the fact, and I wrote down in my notes, "Look at this old geezer." And it turns out he was actually so old that he died in real life. Uh, yeah, sorry to hear that, obviously, but um, yeah, it's how so, we'll uh, remember him forever now. Yep, yep. The old geezer Malister. So we're just about to begin voting when Sam speaks up and nominates Jon Snow. Slint tries to give him shit, uh, Sam shit, which Sam brings up that Slint was hiding in the larder in a pool of his own making. Um, 
which I, it's kind of odd to me that Slint didn't get in more trouble for hiding during the battle, but I don't know if that's actually been revealed. There's been any kind yeah, of, yeah, it's not clear, but I assume that it was just being revealed just then. And everybody laughed yeah. because they believed it. And I, I note, noted yeah. here, Maester Eamon, the blind old, <laughs> old fogey even laughs, which I thought was great. Yeah. Uh, Larder gate 2016. Um, so then, uh, Sam brings up, uh, John's accomplishments, even though he's young, he took over when Thorne was injured, defeated a Bagnar then dealt with Mace, uh, and he was also handpicked by the previous, uh, what's his nuts, Corn Halfhand? Not Corn Halfhand, um, the guy, the previous Lord Commander to be a squire. So oh, yeah, the, Jorah's dad, Gior. Yeah, Gior, that's right. Like, the, and, like uh, Winnie's the, Winnie the Pooh's friend. Gior. So uh, he John was the commander when the night was darkest. Thorne stands up and brings up John's wildling connections, real uh, smear campaign um, against him. Uh, so the men vote, and it's a tie when suddenly Master Aemon dramatically breaks the tie for John. Yeah, I didn't like that. I thought that was cliche TV bullshit. Um, I, I I will say that like in the book, I don't remember the details. Um, it's getting fuzzier and fuzzier, but... Uh, I remember Sam does something underhanded. He basically cheats to get uh, John elected. Yeah, and there's a lot more detail to this in the books, like the other, yeah, but that's uh, the not other Night's Watch posts. Yeah, no, not really. No, no, you're right. Yeah, so, so tell uh, me about the cheating. <laughs> I don't. I don't remember. That's the thing is, oh, okay. uh, I should have done enough research. Once again, uh, I will do a rewatch as soon or the re reread as soon as the new book is announced, which will probably be never. Um, you know, we'll, he'll probably die, and we'll have somebody else write the books. Uh, like Derek, uh, what's his face, Robert Jordan? Oh God, I hate making that analogy, but it's it's true. George hates that fucking comparison too. Do you know who Robert Jordan yeah. is? I do not. Okay, so Robert Jordan wrote this series called The Wheel of Time, and I read about I don't know seven or eight of these books, and they're all huge. And it's all grand and sweeping. And then eventually I realized, hey, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. <laughs> like, oh, it, it's just one of those things. He kept writing more books and more books and more big books. And they were good, but they, they just kept wandering and they just got too big. And then he died. And then uh, oh, no. his wife hired a like a ghostwriter to read through his notes and put together the a last ghost? two. Yeah. Uh, they did a, a go, seance. Go, 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 ghost? <laughs> did a seance. I think it was Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> He tried to work Ravens oh, okay. in there. It was pretty rough. But anyway, um, yeah, they, they wrote his books posthumously uh, to finish up the series, and I thought, oh, God, that's awful. Um, yeah. I, I didn't bother reading them. But uh, Stephen King, too, um, did you know about the Dark Tower series? That's going to be turned into a movie. Did you hear about this? I, I've heard of the this, this series, but I don't know much about it. All right, but all you need to know is uh, he was writing this long epic. It's seven books, and Stephen King got hit by a car. And he realized, oh my God, I'm mortal. I might die. I want to hurry up and finish these books. And he cranked out the last two books like right away because he's like, I could die any moment. Uh, now, yeah. they weren't good. The last two books were not good at all. But at the same time, he finished his story. And I I genuinely have concern that George R. Martin will die before he finishes his story. I think that's uh, that's definitely on the table. I know, no but question. he he dismisses it yeah. and he gets so angry when people like oh, I don't know question it. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's 
George, if you're listening, which you're not, but if somebody tells you, you need to finish these books because Come you on, are bro, going, just finish the books. You bro. are going to die, and this is your legacy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this, I, I'm, I'm okay with them uh, condensing this whole political campaign and the voting thing to this one scene. I totally am. Yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. I was just bringing up the differences. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's why yeah. people listen to us for this. Wait, people listen to this? <laughs> Actually, we did get some great positive feedback on Twitter. I can't remember the guy's name, but thank you. You know who you are. Yeah, like Eagle King or something like that. Yeah, appreciate the appreciate the shout out on Twitter. Yeah, thank you guys. Uh, seriously, we think we're screaming into the abyss. Um, so it's nice to know that somebody is in the abyss with us. Yeah. Um, but moving uh, on. Yeah. If there's nothing else, we're going to go back to uh, Bravos and Arya's living on the street like some kind of fucking street rat. Uh, she's killing pigeons with her sword uh, needle, uh, and a group of teenage boys. Once again, they they seem like any other just teenage thugs from Westeros. Come upon her and I don't know want her pigeon, and then they see that she got a valuable sword. Wants that too. She threatens them with death, but before she can give them the gift of, uh, I guess the endless sleep, uh, the old black man from before shows up. Uh, she goes off with him for some reason all the way back to the house of black and white and then asks him what the fuck. Uh, he gives her the coin back, the one that she threw into the water, and he then takes off his face to reveal that he's Jake and Agar. Uh, he says that that's not really his name. Uh, his real name is No One and that that is who she'll have to become. And then he goes in and she follows him. Is, uh, <sighs> is Jake and Hagar doing blackface? He is for sure. Yeah, um, this is this, so. This is what I kind of alluded to earlier. What the fuck was the point of this? That's what I wrote. I wrote okay. So they were testing her. She made her way all across the narrow sea with the coin. Showed up at the house of black and white, and then she slept there all night. And then they came and got her when she was about to get into a street fight. If they were testing her, she failed the test. Or what was the test? Because what is the test? I, I I mean, if they were testing her to see if she had the resolve to stick with it, she absolutely failed the test. Yeah, I don't you're, know what you're else assuming to, that's the test. Yeah. Whatever the test was, she she passed it. What was the passing point? Her staying there all night, and they're just like, okay, she passed the test, go get her. Oh, I'm going to go take a pee first. And then the like, guy goes take a pee, and he comes back, and she's gone. Like, what is the fucking test, number one? How did she pass it, number two? Uh, who cares? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't get it. <laughs> Number three, who gives a fuck? And fuck right. this plot line. We think you know. Hey, Arya's getting trained as a fucking assassin. This is going to be awesome. We know with hindsight, this is not awesome. No, not at all. Although I did like the one thing I did like in this is she said something to the effect of uh, the sword's not worth anything to a dead man, which I think was a throwback to something that the, uh, the hound said when he stole gold, the sold silver from that, the farmer and his daughter. Oh yeah. You remember? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, I thought that was a good callback because, um, you know, obviously she's learning to be more brutal and, but, um, yeah. Yeah. What's Stupid. the point of the scene? Like what's happening here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just confusing. Uh, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's keep rolling here, bud. <clears throat> so next, uh, that teenager from the high council meeting goes to see the, the harpy that's in prison. 
and we cut to the scene of the shanked prison on display. There's a transition to the uh, wayward teenager answering for his crimes in Danny's throne room. He thinks he was doing a good deed because Danny was kind of hamstrung by a position, but he could do it. Uh, the dude kind of pleads his case, remembers the horrors of the of overthrowing the, the government, and particularly the loss of his dad, thinks this is justice. Danny says, no, now we do justice here, you diggus. So the teenager's taken out to the uh, stocks. Everyone's still, which, well, I mentioned this earlier, everybody in this crowd is still wearing the clothes that clearly right. identifies their prior <laughs> right. role. Like, Just so I'm a former stupid. slave, but I'm still wearing my slave uniform. I'm a former yes. master, and I'm still wearing my slave master, or my slave hey, master uniform. Guess what? You remember when slaves went on the left and the uh, slave masters went on the right before? Guess where we're going right now? Um, so it's so stupid. But anyways, Danny gives a little speech about peace and order, and uh, brings that little jerk out in front before everyone. Says uh, he killed somebody he's not, not supposed to take to life, and he's sentenced to death. The slave trash is upset while the teenager begs for his life. Danny tells the crowd what happened and uh, be, gives the, the sentence of death. The slaves begin to beg for mercy, but none is forthcoming. Dario chops, and the, slave, the slaves kind of hilariously begin making snake noises yeah. at her. Like, my mom yeah. would say, like, boo, hiss. And she would yeah. say the word hiss, and she wouldn't hiss. But still, I was like, oh, was hissing something people did at one point? And then, like, to see, I've never seen it. And this is the first time I've seen, like, like yeah, it's coordinated. It wasn't like, um, if they were half booing, half hissing, I think that would have worked better. But no, everybody's just yeah, on cue. just cue. weird hiss all of a sudden. It's a, so they a, all speak uh, parcel tongue, if you know what that is from the Harry Potter series. Um, no. No. Um, so then a riot ensues and Danny flees the uh, the execution area. Um, ironically, not giving this dude a trial. Yeah, it's it's all stupid. It's it's all ridiculous yeah. and and hypocritical and dumb. Don't try to think of it. I mean, it's all. I, I think though, and I don't know that it's. Uh, I mean, I think it might purposely be an illustration of just how bad of a job she's doing ruling that's, this. City. Yeah, that's the point. Yep. Yeah. So. All right, I, I I hated this to begin with because the guy was a show invention, but at the same time, re- watching this again, I kind of felt bad for him because it's true. These people in power, they change their strong-held beliefs overnight, and this guy's like, hey, you really wanted to kill him, and that's true. She wanted him dead until Barristan Selmy convinced her otherwise. So um, it's hard to know what these rulers want, so I kind of feel bad for him. Uh, but yeah. here's, here's the bigger point, and yes, this is all pointed. This is all set up so that it shows that she's making a mess of this whole ruling thing. Uh, the bigger point is that she's not. She's executing this guy to gain political capital with the former slave masters, the ruling class. But here's the point. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. If she's doing that. Oh, I mean, she definitely. I think she's she doing looked it. at them. She she no, looked over I, there I at think the people in the blue. I think she's doing it just to, because. She thinks that this is, I mean, she's trying to do justice. I, I don't think she's doing it to curry favor with either side. Uh, I think she's doing it to curry favor with everybody with the yeah. justice. And so I, I'm meeting you halfway there. Does that make sense? Okay. She's saying does, to both sides, she's like, hey, guys, uh, I'm going to execute this guy because he broke the rules. That's yes. how I am. I'm person that does this. So you guys should understand and respect that, both of you guys. You guys over here and you guys over here. Yes. 
But I think yes. that the sons of the harpy and the former slave masters aren't hearing any of this. I feel like it's a waste of political capital. Uh, it does nothing. Yeah, I, yeah. I just I have so many problems with uh, this the way that the city is still it's still so divided. I mean, the, the idea that these people are just wear clothes, identify themselves. Is so preposterous, and if they, Danny's been breaking down these social barriers and the social constructs of slavery, and all this stuff, and they're still just wearing like the uniforms of slavery. It just seems so stupid. But this, <laughs> just like Dorn, Dorn is long, yeah. complex, and boring. And I understand this is a TV show, and it needs to be jazzed up. I just think that you could have taken a couple of drafts at this, like a couple of runs to make this better. Uh, they're trying to make something, a complex political situation, and they're trying to present it to us in 15-minute yeah. you know, chunks. So I guess it's a hard task. But they, regardless of how hard it is, it just doesn't work. I agree with you, yeah. Okay. All right. So, so after this riot, um, did we? Did you go over the riot where they? she left? Um, yeah, I mean, but, they scampered out of there. Not, yeah, not scampered out of there yeah. under the uh, the Unsullied. But anyway, she's back in her chambers. Barristan and Grey Worm both decide they need to personally stand guard for Danny that night uh, because of the colossal fuck-up that happened. Uh, she dismisses them, saying that she wants to be alone. She heads out to her balcony, and uh, she's listening to R.E.M. Uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but it's like, Everybody hurts. And she sees Drogon. He's out there on the ledge. Uh, and she's like, oh, great, uh, Drogon, I'm having a rough day. And Drogon comes, sniffs her, and says, mm-mm, don't like it. And he takes off. Um, so just like a man, she want, she had a rough day at work, and uh, she wanted some, you know, uh, to be consoled. And he's like, no, saying? fuck this, I'm going to go drink with the boys. Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm just trying to relate it to people. <laughs> yeah, you're doing a great job. <laughs> I'm very relatable. <laughs> yeah, I kind of—I don't know about you, but I kind of half expected him to to uh, either toast her or toast the city. And I guess I knew he wasn't going to toast her, but um, just I, again, what kind of what was the point? This uh, the, all right. This is the point. It's obvious. So like, he is an avatar for her state of being or mental state. So okay. it's, it's another loss of identity. She is confused. She obviously fucked up. She doesn't know what she's doing. She feels scared. She feels alone. She feels vulnerable. She's just not herself. And Drogon recognizes that she's not herself, and that's why he doesn't go to her. He's just like, you're not my mom. You're somebody else. You're a stranger. It's true. It's it's absolutely true. This, like, I will defend that. That is the only way to read this. Uh, okay. I just read it as they wanted to show the goddamn dragon again, so they did this. No. <laughs> okay. That's, that's dumb. That's... <laughs> All right. That is not the case. I mean, they could have just shown uh, Drogon eating another baby girl or something. Yeah, they could have done that. Absolutely. Oh. All right. Let's close this shit show. Up. All right. So this was, uh, frankly, one of the hardest episodes to watch. Ah, uh, this is bottom of the barrel for me. I'm going to give it a I, one. I, I, mean, I wouldn't go that. I, I don't think I'd go that far. It definitely wasn't good. Oh. Um, but I mean, I I did not. There was not anything that was uh, like particularly objectionable, and it was still fine to watch. I just nothing nothing got me excited. Nothing was that interesting. Yeah, there were no shots of the boom mic in the screen, but at the same time, it just was. I wasn't excited about anything. Uh, the production value great. Shots of uh, Bravos terrific. Drogon looked pretty good. Uh, 
it was all to do with the the soul of this uh, episode, and it, and it was, you know, not good. It was uh, decrepit. I hated it. Yeah, hated every. Okay, and it so- sets up. And 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 I got it. I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah. it, I think what really pisses me off is I know what's going to come later. Yeah, yeah, that's the real problem. So it's a volleyball setup for something that doesn't get spiked, and I just I think it's a waste of time. Yeah. So you're looking at a bump, a set. And then they fail to make the spike. Yep. Uh, so what was your rating out of five? 1.0. Oh. Do you ever, have you ever gone below 1.0? You know what? I haven't. So let's do it. 0.5. <laughs> All right. <laughs> then I'm going to give this a dirt sandwich. <laughs> wow. <laughs> if you put some dirt on between a couple pieces of bread. Now, what's the bread? Is it focaccia uh, or are we talking? Uh, oh, you want some like Asiago multigrade? focaccia cheese yeah. bread? Oh, yeah. Cheese bread. Okay. No, so. No, not that. Oh. Not that. Uh, the bread is also made of dirt. <laughs> let me ask you this. So uh, you guys oh, might know, no. not to remember this, but let me ask you if you remember this. Do you remember like there was a Wonder Bread store or there was like a store that sold, and this was in the South going into college, and they would sell bread that was about to go stale. And you could buy a loaf of like Wonder Bread, white bread for like 30 cents a loaf because it was about to get spots tomorrow. Do you remember this at all? Uh, I've seen those kind of like bread liquidation stores, yeah. but I, yeah, I, yeah, I know what you're, there's actually uh one for tasty cakes, not too far from my house. Yeah. So I've never been in there though. Yeah. You should go, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, I would say it's that kind of bread with dirt on it. Right. Uh, no, it's just dirt bread with dirt. Filling. Uh, see, dirt I would sandwich. give that, I would give that a zero. I mean, what's better than dirt? Uh, like, a dirt's actually worse than eating nothing, I would think. Poop. Oh, yeah, poop is... Okay, yeah. so let's kind of translate. All right, so if poop is zero. Yep. I'm going to give a dirt on a dirt, dirt sandwich a one. It's a half, half a star. Yeah, okay. Oh, what okay. All right, matter. so that average is out. So we got a point five. <laughs> Guys, this rating system is very clear-cut. Uh, it's a 10-point scale. We go up to five, so there's point five increments, and sometimes we substitute sandwiches and... And then I have to translate them the back. Show, to the... I'm going to hang up. Okay, so that's the end of the show. Thank you for tuning in, guys. If there's anybody listening, uh, once again, uh, we appreciate all the feedback that we get. Just that one guy. You're the new favorite. Uh, we will be back next week to do uh, Season 5, Episode 3. See you guys next Tuesday. That really doesn't work. See you next Tuesday. Smell you later. I like that. Did you come up with that? Of course. No.